Well, today is the first Sunday of the season of Lent, which is a 40-day period of fasting and repentance leading up to Easter Sunday. Why is the season of Lent worth observing? Well, the Bible teaches that we have been united to Christ, and more particularly, uh, we have been united to his death and resurrection. His story is our story. And the church calendar is a helpful tool for driving this point home because it patterns our corporate life after the life of Jesus. You see, the 40 days of Lent are an opportunity for us to remember and to dramatize and to experience, though to a lesser degree, the temptation of Christ, the 40 days he spent in the wilderness, which is the theme of today's sermon. So at first glance, the the idea of Lent may seem grim, but for Christians, we know that self-accusation is actually the road to restoration. Repentance and confession are necessary steps on the road to true joy. And so because of Jesus, we can mourn the deep darkness in us and the deep darkness in the world around us, knowing that the light of Resurrection Sunday is coming. And so Lent does not make us gloomy people. Properly observed, Lent increases our joy. Because although there is much to lament in the world, Easter is always coming. In the midst of pain and suffering, Christians know that resurrection is always on the horizon, which means that Christians always have a reason to be joyful. And so Lent is like boot camp for people who want to know true joy. Now, before we turn to Luke chapter 4, let's consider the broader context, Luke chapter 3. Jesus has just been baptized by John in the Jordan River. The Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove, and the Father speaks from heaven, this is my beloved Son. Jesus is the Son of God. And immediately following this baptism, the Gospel of Luke gives us a genealogy from Jesus all the way back to the creation of Adam. The genealogy ends with this. These are the very last words of chapter 3. Adam, the Son of God. And so Adam is also identified as the Son of God. A voice speaks from heaven saying that Jesus is the Son of God, and then Luke gives us a genealogy that refers to Adam as the Son of God. If Jesus is the Son of God, then Jesus is also the second Adam. And so we should not be uh, surprised to see him being tempted by the devil here. Same thing happened to the first Son of God. Remember, Adam is tempted in the garden, Adam fails that test, and then all of humanity is cast into the wilderness. But Jesus reverses all that. Jesus is tempted in the wilderness, and he passes the test, and then he allows for all God's people to re-enter the garden. One more thing. Um, In Exodus chapter 4, God tells Pharaoh that Israel is his firstborn son. Like Adam and like Jesus, Israel is the Son of God. And of course, immediately after the nation of Israel was baptized in the Red Sea, they were led into the wilderness for a 40-year time of testing. It's also worth noting at this point that the story of Israel's time of testing in the wilderness is told in the book of Deuteronomy, which is the book that Jesus quotes all three times that he's tempted here. 
So Jesus is the true and better Adam. Jesus is the true and better Israel. In each of these cases, Adam, Israel, and Jesus, the time of testing comes, and the basic question that we as readers ought to be asking is, will the Son of God trust God? Will the Son of God obey God? Will the Son of God listen to the voice of God here? Verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. Now, it can be tempting for us to imagine that Jesus is superhuman. And in a sense, he is. But it's tempting for us to think that he, he isn't actually being tempted here. He's totally in control. He's just toying with the devil. He's letting the devil think that these things are tempting for him. But that's not how the New Testament presents the humanity of Jesus. When Luke says that Jesus was hungry, he was really hungry. His body was weak and beginning to waste away. Jesus was fully human. He was human to the point, and this is very important, he was human to the point of knowing what it's like to be you. And so these are, these are very real temptations. These are plausible temptations. These are attractive temptations. The devil is actually tapping into potential weak spots for Jesus. Think about it. In each case, the devil is tempting Jesus to do something that Jesus really did come to do. He came to provide bread for the world. He came to rule over all the kingdoms. He came to demonstrate the power and glory of God. And so it isn't really a matter of what Jesus is being tempted to do. It's a matter of when Jesus is being tempted to do it. It comes down to a question of timing. And we'll get to more on that in a bit. Let's consider the first temptation. The temptation is to, to turn stones into bread. Imagine going 40 days without eating. Okay? Put yourself in that place. 40 days without food. Now, imagine that you actually have the power to turn a rock into a pizza. Would you be tempted to do that? Yes, you would be tempted to do that. And so this is a, a real potential weak spot for Jesus. And Satan's line of questioning is very familiar. Just as he did with Adam and Eve, he's trying to plant seeds of doubt concerning the goodness of God. Wait a minute. I thought you were the son of God. I thought you were beloved. I thought the father was well-pleased in you. Why would he send you into the wilderness? Why is he making you suffer? Why is he just watching as your body wastes away? If he's a good father, don't you think he wants you to eat? And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Or in other words, yeah, I would like some bread. But I don't want bread enough to stop trusting my heavenly father for it. As it says in the gospel of Matthew, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so we see that the son of man, the, the son of God is trusting God. 
The Son of God is obeying God. The Son of God is listening to the voice of God and not the devil. What can we learn from this particular temptation? Um, Perhaps it's worth asking whether we live as though the word of God is truly a more basic necessity than food. How much time do we spend thinking about food? How much money do we spend purchasing food? Our lives are built around food and sustained by food. And and I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong, but it speaks to the power of what Jesus is saying here. If our lives are built around food and sustained by food, how much more should we be building our lives around the word of God and, and, and gaining sustenance from the word of God? Food is great. Food is a gift from God and it should be received with thankfulness. And our lives should be built around and sustained by the word of God. Temptation number two, verse five. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So the devil plays the part of a sleazy real estate salesman here. Look at all this beautiful land. Look at all these mighty kingdoms. No down payment. This can all be yours for the low, low price of worshiping me. Now, we've talked about the humanity of Jesus, that he was really hungry. What about this temptation? How could God actually be tempted to worship the devil? First of all, we need to know that this was a legitimate offer. Satan did actually possess authority over these kingdoms. The Bible calls him the prince of the power of the air and the ruler of this world and the god of this age. And so this was a legitimate offer. But again, what about this offer was tempting for Jesus? Well, just um, as I just said, the devil had authority over these kingdoms, but Jesus had come to claim authority over these kingdoms. There was a major showdown looming. And so the devil offers Jesus what Jesus has actually come to claim. He offers a compromise. He offers him the easy way out. You know, you don't need to be hated and abandoned. You don't need to suffer. You don't need to be crucified in order to inherit the nations. If what you want is all authority in heaven and on earth, I'll give it to you right now. No need to die. You see, impatience is one of the devil's favorite temptations. Adam and Eve would have eventually been able to eat from the tree. The prohibition was probationary. It was a test. It was an invitation to trust God and to grow in spiritual maturity. But the devil whispers, why wait? You could have it now. Abraham had to fight the sin of impatience in the land of Canaan. God had promised the land to him, but but God had not yet given it to him. Joseph had to fight the sin of impatience in the house of Pharaoh. 
God had promised to exalt him to a place of authority, but God had not yet given it to him. David had to fight the sin of impatience under the kingship of Saul. God had promised to make David king, but God had not yet given it to him. And the same is true of Jesus here. God said to his son, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. But Jesus had to fight the sin of impatience because God had not yet given it to him. What can we learn from this particular temptation? I think this can be applied to a number of things. Undermining your coworkers to get ahead professionally is a sin of impatience. If God has not yet given you a promotion, you should not be taking one for yourself. Premarital sex is a sin of impatience. If God has not yet given it to you, you should not be taking it for yourself. Sometimes teenagers commit the sin of impatience by claiming a degree of independence that they are not yet equipped for. Rather than honoring their father and mother, rather than trusting their wisdom, wisdom, teenagers seek to break free from parental authority before God has given that. Sometimes we commit the sin of impatience by being less generous than the Lord has called us to be. Perhaps we talk about giving the full tithe to the church at some point in the future once our savings account is in a better position or once we've purchased a home or whatever it is. But if it's true that everything we have is ultimately on loan to us from God, then to to rob him by being less generous than he's calling us to be is a sin of impatience. We're purchasing something that he has not given us the means to have. Sometimes church growth strategies commit the sin of impatience. We can be tempted to act against what would be healthiest for the church in order to grow the church numerically. Simply put, God does not sanction every church growth strategy we can come up with. We are called to be faithful in everything, and we are to trust him for the growth. Temptation number three, verse nine. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, the the first thing to notice here is that the devil knows Scripture. Satan can actually use the Bible to lead you astray. That's a pretty unsettling thought, right? But it speaks to the importance of, I think, two things, community and spiritual authority. We need to interpret the Bible in community, not as isolated individuals. It's not just you, your Bible, and the Holy Spirit. If you approach it that way, you are very susceptible to the subtle deceptions of a devil who knows his Bible. In addition, the Bible calls us to submit ourselves to spiritual authority. And that's not a very popular idea these days, but we cannot afford to throw the baby out with the bathwater. By God's design, the church ought to provide for certain of its members to devote more of their time to prayer and the study of Scripture. 
This is another way in which we guard ourselves from the subtle deceptions of a devil who knows his Bible. Here in verse 9, the devil says to Jesus, let go and let God. Just jump down. If you really are the son of God, surely he's going to catch you. And Jesus replies, it is true that my father can work miracles, but that's not why I trust him. I'm not going to put him to the test. But notice, Satan assumes that because Jesus is the son of God, the father will not allow harm to come to him. That's a false assumption. And Jesus knows it. You see, Jesus does eventually throw himself at the mercy of his father. Jesus throws himself down, so to speak, trusting that his father can raise him back up. But it was the father's will that Christ should, should suffer. It was the father's will that Christ should be crucified. The body of Jesus is broken like bread for the world. But the father commands his angels and guards Jesus and raises him up. And now for 2,000 years, Jesus has been claiming the kingdoms of the world. And so everything the devil suggested eventually came to pass. But it came to pass God's way and in God's timing. And so I think the season of Lent teaches us what Jesus knew here, what Jesus knew in the wilderness. The season of Lent, which is a time in the wilderness, teaches us what Jesus knew in the wilderness. There are no shortcuts on the path to glory. Glory and exaltation come through humility and death to self. And sometimes if the Father allows suffering, The path to heaven is actually a downward path. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, you are always good to us. Even when it seems as though you are withholding something, even when you permit suffering, you are good. And we trust your timing. Jesus, we thank you for passing this test on our behalf. The the universe was hanging in the balance. Eternal life was hanging in the balance, and you were faithful. Holy Spirit, empower us to resist temptation like Jesus, armed with the word of God, alongside brothers and sisters, trusting in your good and your wise timing. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen.